Welcome this morning. How many of you here are pilots? Raise your hand. I'd like to see you. How many already knew that verse that uh, Brother Marta read? Shall mount up with wings as eagles. Now, all of you who are pilots, I don't want you to give away my illustration. But I would like for everybody to take out your bulletin and an insert or some kind of piece of paper, two pieces of paper that are, are loose and free from each other. Have you all got something? Or you can watch someone close to you. I want you to hold them down in front of your face about two inches apart, one in each hand. Hold them. No, 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 not that way. Let me get mine out so you can hold them. uh, Here we go. Hold them this way and put your mouth in between them. All right, no, down, like this, like this. So they're apart. I want them two inches apart. Hold them from the top. Take them from the top. Take them from the top like this. Now put it down so you're not looking at me. You're looking at your lap. Now blow between them. Just blow. Keep blowing. Keep blowing. Now I want to ask you a question. Did they get closer together or farther apart when you blew between them? How many, how many were a little bit surprised that they got closer together? How many weren't surprised? All the pilots wouldn't be surprised because there's a reason. Because the air that you were blowing between was moving. And the air outside was not moving or not, at least not moving as fast. And there's a law that all pilots understand. It's called the law of aerodynamics. How many have ever studied about that? That means that air that moves has less pressure than air that's still. And if you get close to an airplane, you'll notice that the top of the wing is curved like that and the bottom is kind of like this, so that the air that has to go over the top of the wing has to go farther than the air that goes underneath the wing. Am I getting this right, pilots? So that the air over the top is going faster, it has less pressure, and it lifts. And the air that's going is a little bit slower, not much. Man, when I fly on an airplane, I'm like, How? but the air underneath is going slower, and it has more pressure. And so it pushes up, and the less pressure... How many think that's neat? All right. How many have ever heard of the law of gravity? Heard of that one. What's the law of gravity? What, did, what, did, what was that guy's name? Newton? What did he say the law of gravity was? What goes up must come down. And yet there is another law called the law of aerodynamics that can, at least while it's in operation, it overrules the law of gravity. How many like that, especially pilots? How many like that? Now, I want to show you in the Bible, in the book of Romans, it talks about two laws. It's found in Romans chapter 7 is the one law, and Romans chapter 8 has the other law. And the one law in Romans chapter 7, if I ask you about this, I know that every one of you say, yeah, you know that law. Because it is here in Romans chapter 7, verse 19. It says, For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. How many have ever experienced that law? You know what's right. You even try to do what's right. But no matter how hard you try, it seems like there's always something there just dragging you down, just like gravity. Amen? Now... For a long time in my life, I would read that text and I would recognize Paul wrote that. And he says, for the good that I would do, I do not. But the evil that I would not, that I do. And that comforted me. 
Now, I'm not going to ask you if you got comfort because I would be trapping you if I did. But you see, we should not take comfort from that text. But it did comfort me because I thought, well, Paul's going to be saved and he had the same problem that I have, so maybe there's a chance for me. Now, I do want people to know who have this problem. I want them to know there is a chance for you. How many of those who hear me preach all the time, I'm all the time telling people there's a chance for you. The Satan's all the time trying to steal them away. Amen? But I don't want this to comfort you because of the fact when you get down to verse 20, in fact, between 20, 21, 22, he's talking about this law, and when you get to verse 24, it says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So how did Paul feel about the fact, the good that I would, I do not, and the evil that I would not, that I do? How does he feel about that fact? He doesn't like it. And if you've recognized that this is true about you, what was true about Paul, and it makes you wretched, then I've got good news for you. You are well on your way to knowing Jesus. Are you with me? Because the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit is active in a sinner's life, the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is bring conviction of sin. So here's Paul. I'm trying hard and I'm failing. But I don't like it. I am sick of failing. Just like a pilot who keeps crashing. He's sick of it. Amen. Sometimes they're worse than sick, but for the sake of the illustration. Now, I want you to go to chapter 8. And I want you to look in verse 2. And notice what it says in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, what's the law of sin and death? The good that I would, I do not. The evil that I would not. Oh, I'm getting a mix up. You know what I'm saying, don't you? The, the good that I would, I don't. The evil that I would not, that I do. How many recognize that's the law of sin and death, Right? It just keeps dragging you down, dragging you down, makes you feel like there's no hope for you. But look in verse 2 again. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, when I talk about the law of sin and death, I know what it's talking about. I have experienced that. But when I'm talking about the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Satan wants us not to really understand what that means. So this morning, I want to talk about not the law of sin and death, which I don't need to talk about because everybody here knows it. I want to talk about the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that will make you free from the law of sin and death. Now, is there anybody here who remembers what I preached about the last time that I was here? I was afraid of that. Sometimes I have to go back and look at my notes and remember what I preached two weeks ago anyway. But now I do remember what I talked about two weeks ago. In fact, I really didn't talk much. I just read promises out of the Bible. And what I talked about is about praising God. Now how many remember what I talked about two weeks ago? And I read a quote that I didn't use in the sermon where a writer in our denomination whose name was Ellen White said that we lift ourselves into the atmosphere of heaven on wings of praise. If you want the law of of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus to work in your life, the number one thing that you have to do is take your mind off of your weakness, off of the sin, off of Satan, off of all the stuff that's going on, and put your mind on Jesus and say, look what Jesus has done. Now notice as we're reading down here in Romans chapter 8, 
Let me just read on. Verse 3. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in His own Son the likeness of sinful flesh, for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What does it mean to walk after the flesh? What does it mean to walk after the Spirit? And I thought, the only thing I thought was disobedience or obedience. And disobedience or obedience is the result of either of these laws, but they are not the law itself. Because notice verse 5, for they that are after the flesh, what do they do? Are you looking at the text? Now, I don't mind if you look at me, if you can stand it, but I'd rather you have your head down looking in the Bible, all right? And it says, for they that are the flesh, what do they do? What do they do? They think about the things of life. That's what's going on in their heads. And when that is the stuff that's going on in your head, you are under the law of gravity. I mean, you're under the law of sin and death. You're going to come down. How many know that's true? And then it says, but they that are after the Spirit, what do they think about? What do they think about? They think about the things of the Spirit. Now, for those of you who are a congregation, if you want to take a nap, you can do so. But I recommend that you don't because I have discovered that the only way that I can remember something... How many want to help me? What's the only way you can remember something? Say it louder because I'm half deaf. Repetition. Repetition. All right. Now, I'm not going to preach this whole sermon in Titus 3, but I do want you to look at it because this has to do with the spirit of life in Christ and those who are walking in the spirit, they think about the things of the spirit. Now, notice what it says here in Titus chapter 3. And verse 8. And by the way, I have preached this sermon so many times that when I go to camp meeting and I meet old church members, they stop me and they say, do you still teach about Titus 3? I say, yeah, I do. And uh, the head elder of the last church I pastored before I retired down in Texas called me on the phone and he said, Pastor, I was uh, going out to, to, as a visiting preacher and he says, I just pulled up in the parking lot and he says, I'm late for Sabbath school and it's only 15 minutes till church. And he said, I was looking through my sermon notes and I noticed a little thing up here that six months ago I was in this church and I preached the same sermon. And he said, I didn't know what to do. So he says, I was leafing through my Bible and I had taken notes from your Titus 3 sermon. So he says, I worked that up. And he says, they really liked it. Not because it was my sermon, because it was from the Bible, it was Titus 3. Let me tell you one more story about Titus 3 that I've discovered. I was teaching a class at camp meeting. This is where the congregation takes a nap. I was teaching a class at camp meeting, and I was using Titus 3. And I said, and I gave him an outline of the Bible study. And for an assignment, I says, before you come back to class tomorrow, I want you to find someone in the campground. I just want you to read this to them. And at the end, there's a prayer of commitment to Jesus. And so I sent them on their way. And the next day, I says, how many did the assignment? Well, some of them did, some of them didn't. So I asked one of the men, and he, he wanted to come up. So he came up, and he said, my son hasn't been in church for 20 years. But he came up to camp meeting yesterday just because he wanted to see some of his old academy friends. He didn't go to any of the meetings. He wasn't interested in that. But I asked him to stay for supper, so he stayed for supper. And then he was going to go back home. And he says, I've got, would you be my guinea pig? I have this assignment. I haven't done it yet. It's getting late at night. Would you let me read this Bible study? Yeah, he said, go ahead, Dad. Lay it on me. I can handle it. So he says he read this Bible study to him. And when he got down to the end, there was a prayer like a wedding vow. And he asked his son, would you like to accept Jesus? And by this time, 
the son was starting to cry, and he says, yeah, I would. And he says he accepted Jesus last night, and he got on the phone, and he called his boss, and he says, I'd like the rest of the week off. I want to stay and go to camp meeting. I want to be baptized next Sabbath. Now, let me show you why this text is so special. Look in verse 8. It says, this is a what? Are you looking there? Now, I'm old. I'm older than I look. So I still preach out of the King James. But if you have another translation, I don't condemn you for that. But I'm going to read now this one. This is a faithful saying. I think the newer translation is a true saying or what, is it, what word does it use there? Oh, I can't hear you anyway. But All right. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm how often? Constantly. Now, going back to Romans chapter 8 down there where it says, they who are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but those after the spirit, they mind the things of the spirit. And what we're talking about here in Titus 3 is how to put the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus into action. And it says here, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that you affirm. How often? I heard that. Constantly. And then notice what will happen if you affirm it constantly. If you have the King James or any other. Somebody yell it out real loud. You're all shy. All right. That those who have believed in God might be what? Careful to maintain good works. So you see, when you go back to the law of spirit of life in Christ, Jesus sets me free from the law of sin and death because the law of sin and death says, this is what I should do. I can't do it. This is what I shouldn't do. That's what I'm doing. But when you get over to Titus 3 and verse 8, it says, I want you to think about this. How often? Constantly. So that those who have believed in God will be careful to do what? Maintain. They they start doing what's right and they keep doing what's right. Now you're sitting here and if you haven't heard this sermon before, you say, "Well, well, what is it you're supposed to affirm constantly? So I'm going to give it to you in about three minutes. And my poor wife has heard this so many times, but she's still smiling today. There are eight things in this text that you need to affirm constantly. Number one is in verse three. You always need to remember, though you don't think about it, but you always need to remember, I am a sinner. Because if you don't believe that you are a sinner, then you don't think that you need Jesus. And the hardest people to witness to are the people who think I'm good enough the way I am. And when I meet people who think they're good enough the way they am, I think, I don't know what to say to them. But every once in a while, I run into a person who is concerned about their salvation. They have already experienced the law of sin and death, and they're trying, and they're miserable. I love to meet people who are miserable because they're failing. Because then I know they are ready, because I love to talk to people about Jesus and have people who are interested. It's really hard to talk to people who aren't interested. But number one is what? I already said it. Number one, we are sinners. We need Jesus. And when you recognize you're a sinner and you recognize how much of a sinner you are, then you begin to, I don't see how in the world God can love me. But the very next text says, but after that, after the hate, the greed, the lust, and all this stuff, after that, what? The kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Amen? Does God love sinners? That's point number two. I'm a sinner. Point number two, have no idea how much God loves Do you know that we're going to spend eternity in heaven studying about the love of God and we will never exhaust the subject? And we think we know a little bit it now, right? Every day we're going to be studying more about the love of God and every day we will come away with our mouths dropped open and say, wow, I had no idea. And the next day we'll say, 
Wow, that was new. And the next day, for all eternity, look how much God loves us. And so when you recognize that you're a sinner, the point number two you've got to recognize is there is a God up there and He cares so much for sinners that He sent His Son to take their place and die for them. Point number three is in verse four. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to what? It's His mercy. What saves us? How many are glad for that? And I said this two weeks ago. I hear people talk about, I want to be treated the way I deserve. I don't. I want mercy. Amen? How many want mercy? And when you hear people complaining about not being treated the way you deserve, say, count yourself fortunate. Because if you were treated the way you deserve, you'd get nailed to a cross. Amen? So point number three, he doesn't save us because we're worthy. He saves us because he is merciful. And you see, if you don't have a born-again heart, and you look at verse number five, which is point, whichever verse it is that we're talking about, If you look at that and you're not born again, you say, we're not saved by good works. Oh, good. I don't have to do good works. You go down to verse 8 and it says, if you're a believer in God, you'll want to. So, all right. The next point is about the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do the job alone. The The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets me free. We're talking about that law right here. And the Holy Spirit is the wind. How many know that in... When the Holy Spirit came, there was a mighty rushing wind. Amen? And I can't help but think that one day God would know that human beings understood the law of very dynamics and He wanted them to know that the Holy Spirit will keep you up. One thing I have never tried that I would love to try. How many here have done hang gliding? Anybody hang gliding? I would love to do hang gliding. I, I'm I, with skiing. I like the cross country. I like I, there's a magazine called the Silent Sports. I like to canoe. I like to cross country ski, and I think hang gliding. You don't spend any gasoline or anything. You just you just jump off a cliff, <laughs> and the wind catches the wings. And I have read about it, and they said those who are on the who hang glide, they watch for the big birds. And you see these big birds up there and they have their wings outstretched and they hardly flap them at all. And they go where those birds are because they know that the birds have senses that we don't have and there is an updraft there. And the birds catch that updraft and they will just circle. And the people, especially in contests, they'll get their their, uh, hang glider. How many have done that? In an updraft and rather than coming down, they are overcoming the law of gravity. And you see, when you are abiding in the Spirit, there is an updraft. And if you stay in the Spirit, you don't ever have to come down. And this is why Satan is all the time trying to get our attention off Jesus because he wants us to get out of the the warm updrafts into the cold downdrafts so that we come down. Amen? How many want to live under the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus? How do you do it? You keep remembering, I need Jesus. I need the Spirit. I need the updrafts. Point number two, He loves me even when I crash. Amen? Point number three, He saves me. And we as Adventists have been taught to be careful about using that. And I, and I don't have time, but I can show you where, why it's important that we don't use that. Let me give you one quote from Ellen White. Select Messages, Volume 1, page 373 says... It is essential to have faith in Jesus and to believe that you are saved in Him. Semicolon. But there's a danger of taking the position that many take and saying, I'm saved. And you see a person who's in the uh, warm-up drafts think, oh, I'll never go down. And he gets out of the warm-up draft, 
he crashes. Amen? And so to think that doesn't make any difference what I do, I'm never going to go down, you're going to go down. But if you keep where Jesus is, you're going to stay up. Are you with me? All right. Point number one, I'm a sinner. Point number two, he, he loves me. Point number three, he saves me. Point number four, he sends the wind of the Holy Spirit to keep me up if I stay with the Holy Spirit. And then when you get to verse seven, there are three things there, four things there. It says this, therefore being justified. Somebody help me. What does justified mean? Congregation, you should know this by now. Somebody say it out good and loud. Come on. Isn't that beautiful? When you accept Jesus as your Savior, steps to Christ, says God accepts you just as though you had never sinned in your life. How many recognize that's a warm-up draft? And you walk around and you know that you're a sinner and, 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 and you're feeling bad, but you say, but God accepts me as though I had never sinned. How many recognize? That's a warm-up draft. Amen? That's point number one. Point number two, His grace. And grace means He treats me good when I deserve to be treated bad. Is that a warm-up draft? God treats me good. I don't deserve to be treated good, but He's treating me good anyway. And even if He treats me bad, it's because He he knows I have gotten out of the warm-up draft and He wants me to get back in. If I'm on my way down, He wants me to get back where the Holy Spirit is. Amen? All right. Grace. He treats us good when we deserve to be treated bad. Point number next one. Seven says, you're His child. We are made heirs. H-E-I, heir. How many know an heir is... The offspring is somebody who gets what the other person has. And God, it says in uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called what? Is that a warm-up draft? I am God's child. He has made me and then He died, sent His Son to die to buy me back from sin. And you need to walk around saying, I am God's child. He invited me to come to Him And I came, and I choose to stay there. Amen? Point number eight, the last phrase of verse seven says, therefore being justified by His grace, we are made heirs according to what? According to the hope of everlasting life. And I am convinced that when you're reading in James, remember James talks a lot about obedience, and he says in James 1.12, he that endures to the end shall be saved. And I would look at that and I would think about the time of trouble and I'd think about the tortures and I would grit my teeth and I would say, I want, I want to be saved. And the only people who are going to be saved are the ones that endure to the end. And I think, I don't think I'm strong enough to endure all that stuff. I won't ask you to raise your hands here, but I know all of you out there think, I worry about that. There is a way to endure. And the way to endure is to say, I know I'm weak and I know I'm a sinner. But he loves me, and he's already saved me by his mercy. And if they cut off my head like they cut off John the Baptist's head, the next thing I'm going to know is Jesus is going to be here. That's a warm-up draft, isn't it? And you see, you mind the things of the Spirit, and the Spirit wants you to think about what God has done. Now, another text I refer to, but I've never preached on it, and I'm not going to today, but I want to. It's found in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, and this is talking about how to bring yourself into the warm-up draft of God's love. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, and look what it says. Whereby, referring to Jesus, are given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might become partakers of what? Now, is God subject to the law of sin and death? Can God be brought down? God can't be brought down. 
Well, if you become a partaker of the divine nature, can you be brought down? Only if you take your attention off of God. Satan's constant effort. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world through lust. What's the corruption of the world lust? How does it get to you? In your mind. Am I right? Satan wants to corrupt your mind by your thoughts. But you keep thinking about God's precious promises. Now, I'm going to read you one in closing. This is found in Gospel of John, chapter 6 and verse 37. I recommend you go there and look at it, not at me. Because that's more important. And I'm going to read to you from this writer in the Adventist church that comments on this. And most people think that that lady never said anything like this. I found a lot of things that when I was growing up, I didn't think she ever said. Oh, lots of hope. And most people read her and think, or no, they don't read her, they listen to what other people say, and they think condemnation. This is a letter that you won't find in any book that this lady wrote because it's in, in the manuscripts. And uh, in April, I went to my 50th alumni and I preached on this subject, and my roommate from Academy was there. He emailed me. He says, I thought you would like this. Here it is. This lady, Ellen White, is writing to a lady who is experiencing the law of sin and death, and she is so discouraged. She's, she's recognizing the misery where Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall live? And she's just about to get up. Is anybody here in the law of sin and death and just about to give up? Well, this lady is writing a letter to people like that, like you. Here's what it says. The message from God to me is... No, let me start over. The message from God to me for you... For who? The people who are in the law of sin and death and they're feeling wretched about it. That's who this is addressed to. The message from God to me for you is, Him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. Is that John 6, 37? Look at it. Is that it? Him that cometh to me, what? I won't cast you out. If you have nothing else to plead before God but this one promise from your Lord and Savior you have the assurance that you will never be turned away. Well, never is twice, sir. You will never, never be turned away. It may seem to you that you are hanging upon a single promise, but appropriate that one promise, and it will open to you the whole treasure house of the riches of the grace of Christ. How many can see when you read that? Him that comes unto me, I will no wise cast out. And then this, you read what it says here, and it says, you're wretched and everything else, but you can believe the promise. You come to Him, He won't cast. How many recognize that's a warm-up draft? How many can think about that? Right, I've come to Jesus, and He says He's not going to throw me out. You like that? How many can see if you start thinking those kind of things and looking at God's promises, Satan's going to have a harder time tempting you? How many recognize that? And every time He tempts you, you say, but I came to Jesus. And He says, I'm not going to throw you out. Let me read on here. Cling to that promise, and you're safe. Him that cometh to me, I will no wise cast out. Present this assurance to Jesus. Here's the text, Jesus. I know I failed you, but here's the text. And I'm coming to you right now. Present this assurance to Jesus, and you are as safe as though inside the city of God. God wants you to live in the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now, I looked up some more where this same lady comments on this text other places. So let me read another one. This is in a devotional book called Faith I Live By. If you want to write it down, 23 and 24. If you don't write it down but you still want it, 
Ask me for one of my cards, my emails, and I'll email you all seven pages of this sermon that I haven't preached them all. But listen to what it says. When assailed by temptation, what does it mean to be assailed by temptation? Downdraft, loss, sin, and death, right? When assailed by temptation, look not to your circumstances. Don't look around at what's happening. Don't look to your own weaknesses. I can't beat my wings hard enough. Don't look at yourself. But you look at the power of the Word of God. All its strength is yours. Grasp His promises as leaves from the tree of life. How many have read that before? How many know there's promises in the Bible? How many know I said two weeks ago, praise God for the promises. Keep a look at the promises. Praise God for the promise. Grasp His promises as leaves from the tree of life. Here's the promise. Him that cometh unto me I will no wise cast out. As you come to Him, believe that He accepts you because He's promised it. You can never perish while you do this. Comma. Never. Let's bow our heads. Dear Jesus in heaven, Satan is an intimidator. He reminds us of his strength. He reminds us of our weakness. He reminds us of our past. He reminds us of anything that he can remind us of, whether it's our sins or somebody else's sins. Just as long as we're not looking at Jesus' promises, but Jesus, we believe that your promises have life in them. And the way that we eat the leaves of the tree of life is to put them in our eyes and in our ears and keep like an old cow chewing our cud over and over and over again, saying, in fact, affirming it constantly, this is what Jesus has said to me. And we can begin to live in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and discover that there is freedom from the law of sin and death. We want to live there, Jesus. We want to have the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus lifting us up like the text says, they that wait upon the Lord, not just waiting for him to do things, but wait upon the Lord like a servant. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run spiritually and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If this is what you want today, just raise your hand and say, Jesus, I want to mount up with wings as eagles. I want your Holy Spirit, your warm updraft of your love, to be forever under my wings. This is our prayer now. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear Jesus in heaven, we know that you never even once have ever told a lie. And your promise says, I have written these things to you who believe on his name so that you can know that you have everlasting life and you might believe on the name of the Son of God. Help us to know that when we have nothing else to rejoice about, we can still thank Jesus for the promise that says, I will come again. I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you might be also. We can remember the promise that says, you will be with me in paradise. And as we remember and rejoice over those promises, we can bring ourselves into the atmosphere of heaven, even while we live on this earth.
Help us, Jesus, to discipline our minds to think about you. Help us to mind the things of the Spirit. Amen.